back, friends, for another edition of Amateur Hour. I'm Jordan Perez, and I'm dearly excited to be back with another episode. I know it feels like golf is slowing down just a little bit, but the reality is it's totally not. There's still a fair share of international championships, exemptions, and all types of things being tossed around. If you like hearing about that kind of stuff, you should hint, hint, wink, wink, follow me on Twitter at JRDNPRZ. It's my full name without vowels. I also post regularly scheduled nonsense, so sorry, not sorry about that. Anyways, this week I've got quite the special guest. You may know Anya Alvarez as being one of the best Twitter followers in golf. She's always keeping it super real, funny, giving a lot of insight into social issues in golf, and always has it on lock with pictures of Ruthie. But how much do you actually know about Anya before the LPGA? We did a little throwback with her talking about how she ended up where she is today as a media consultant and content producer and really locked in on her college golf journey. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. It's a cool look at one of golf Twitter's best with some great stories packed in. I'm so happy to have Anya Alvarez on with me. She's a great friend, an inspiring figure in the space of golf and women's sports in general, and honestly, one of the best Twitter follows. Anya, how are you? I'm well. I I now feel like I'm going to have to step up my Twitter game so if people follow me after this, they're not disappointed. I don't want to make you a liar. There's nothing about it that's a lie. You truly <laughs> set the standard. You're hilarious. You drop... Ruthie picks all over, which for those who don't know is her adorable dog, and you have some awesome takes. So I mean, everybody should follow Anya immediately or after they listen to this. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> so you've got a storied background in golf. You've been in it since you were five. You've been in the space of women's sports for a really long time in general, both on the side of media and an athlete, which is super cool. But just so people kind of have an idea of present-day Anya, I guess, what inspired you up to this point to kind of help fill the void that is coverage of women's sports? So it, it, it kind of happened in a very weird way, I guess. I When I stopped, when I played my one and only season on the LPGA, which was 2014, I was really eager to follow other passions that I had in my life. Politics was a passion that I always had. I'd worked on political campaigns, volunteered on them, and writing was another passion. And so I really thought I was going to go into some sort of political journalism. And so I moved back to Oklahoma, which is where I'm from, uh, from Florida, and got a job at a local newspaper covering state politics. And while I was there, someone from ESPN reached out to me who had followed my career in golf over the course of Symmetra Tour, had initially seen me when I was on Big Break, which was a very long time ago, um, and knew that I was writing and asked if I would contribute some pieces to ESPNW about the LPGA. And at first, I was very reluctant because... One, I was trying to create this new identity for myself, um, separate from golf. I didn't want to be the golfer girl anymore. And I, he just kind of was like, listen, if you don't like it, 
you don't have to keep doing it, but at least try it. And they gave me freedom to write about things that were important to me in the sport that were more about social issues or profile pieces on players. And so I saw that I had an opportunity to kind of merge two worlds that I really uh, were passionate about, one being golf and, and women and the second being social issues. And I think there's there's a lot of intertwining between sports and, and social issues that we've really begun to see, you know, come to um, come to surface over the last few years more than ever. And I fell in love with it and then just took off running and wrote a lot for ESPNW, started writing for The Guardian, wrote for Rolling Stone, had a feature in Playboy magazine about female athletes. And I just saw this opportunity where women weren't really being given the space to get the coverage that they deserve so that they could actually also make money, um, not even just on the court or on the course, but you know, off the field so that they could get more sponsorships and have more marketability behind them. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it happened. And I, I really have, um, I, I need to thank Rob King. That's the guy at ESPN that pulled me into this because I don't know if it, without him, if I would have gone into sports journalism. You said you kind of wanted to create a new identity and get away from being the golf girl, but at what point did you ever see that the intersection of social issues and women's sports really needed to head in the direction of women's golf? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, I, I'd grown up around golf my whole life. My dad was a golf pro, still is, and, and um, I grew up on a golf course, and so I think my experience compared to other women who start playing a sport golf whatever it is was was very different because my dad one was very supportive of me he wanted me to play he he told me that i could be the best um if i worked hard and i also grew up only playing with men there were no girls at my golf course no women and so i was always comfortable playing with men and never felt like an outsider as a result of it because it was just what I grew up with. Um, And so when I would hear stories about women feeling misplaced or disenfranchised, I, I honestly didn't fully understand it because that wasn't my experience growing up. And then when you're playing professionally, people treat you very differently even if you're not the best, you know, people kind of put these professional athletes on a, on a weird pedestal, in my opinion, um, that kind of elevates your sense of self-worth that maybe shouldn't be there. So it, it wasn't until I stopped playing that I was able to gain more perspective on, one, how golf changed my life, how it opened up so many doors and avenues for me that I may have never gone through or down and you know then when I stopped playing you know a lot of people had no idea who I was and I couldn't pull out the tour card thing anymore when I would go to golf courses and I started being treated like I guess a regular golfer and I started feeling I think what other women have experienced not to the full degree but to, to some degree and I think 
stepping away for the game for a little bit really provided me perspective on that there are things that needed to change within golf for women in order for the sport to grow, not just from the standpoint of performance female professionals getting more coverage and 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 or and becoming more popular but also for the game to just grow with the general population of women and so i think i really do believe that i needed to step away from the game as a professional to to have that perspective let's travel back in time a little bit to when you did step in the game you were a decorated junior golfer played many USGA tournaments on the highest level before you went off to school. But at what age did you really realize your potential? I probably when I was like nine or 10, I, so I, I broke uh, 40 from the men's tees at my, at my dad's course where I grew up when I was 11. And I think when I did that, and all the guys at the course were like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. That really solidified to me that I had a future in the game. But around 9 or 10 is when I really started taking it seriously and knew that I wanted to see as far as I could go. Um, and, yeah, I would, say, I would say I was very young. You know, I, I found a note that I had written sometime in, in middle school that said that I was going to play on the LPGA one day and be the best golfer in the world and also play on the PGA Tour. I had this vision that I was going to play with the men as well. And while neither came true, I did uh, make it to the LPGA, which I think, you know, is so much harder than what people realize to, to make it to that level. Um, just getting there and, and being part of the club, essentially. Um, so yeah, but I was very young when, when I saw that. And I have, I have a question for you though. Did, did you read my Wikipedia page? Yes. <laughs> and the only reason why I'm saying that is, so someone Googled me once and they said, oh, you have a Wikipedia page. And I had no idea. And I went and read it. And when I was reading it, I was like, my dad definitely wrote this. Like it sounded like my dad. And I called him, and I said, Dad, did you write my Wikipedia page? And he was, yeah, I did. <laughs> it was just so funny, because it's definitely in his voice and tone and everything as far as how it's written. It's like a proud dad. <laughs> that That's so sweet, though. <laughs> it's very it's very detailed it was very good yeah I'd read like just a couple different things to like kind of piece the timeline a little bit together but it was very informative yeah (laughs) he did a good job he did a good job (laughs) I want to learn more about your time at U Washington and I mean what led you there in general you'd grown up in a golf family you said your dad was a golf pro and you played your members of your family played at many different schools but I mean what brought you from Oklahoma to the northwest side of the country yeah so I was getting recruited at a lot of schools in the midwest and south Texas Arkansas um Kansas and I I don't know I just wasn't excited about any of them to be honest with you and I had always, I was always someone that was very curious and and felt the need to get out of my comfort zone. And I, 
Google taught golf schools in the U.S., college programs, and University of Washington was in the top 25 at the time, and I was like, well, I've, you know, I've never been to Seattle. I've never been to Washington. That sounds like it could be interesting. So I emailed my golf resume to Mary Lou Muffler, who is the head coach there. She's been there for over 30 years now. Um, I am convinced that she is going to die coaching <laughs> at a tournament because she will not leave UW. Um, and she came out to watch me when they still had the pub links and which I think it was like a week or two later and then she offered me a full ride on the spot and I don't know I just I I didn't even do a campus visit or anything and I I loved her like the moment I met Mary Lou I felt very comfortable with her I thought if I'm gonna go away for four years for to play somewhere she's someone that I would want to play for um and I said yes on the spot and I didn't tell my parents for a while and they started being like okay you know it's time to make a decision you've gotten all these offers like where are you gonna go and I hadn't told them that I had accepted um an offer at Washington and when I finally told them they weren't happy (laughs) because I didn't consult them after they had dedicated so much time and money and resources to helping me get to that point. Uh, But also because it was so far away and, you know, it was not going to be as easy to come up and see me. But I think in the long run, you know, they realized that it was the best decision that I could have made because I, I really grew as a person in Washington and, you know, playing for Mary Lou, she was very tough, very fair, um, but really cared about her players a lot. And I, I think I, I couldn't have grown as much as I did anywhere else, as much as I did in Seattle. So you're saying your parents probably wanted you in Texas. They, they wanted they wanted me to at least be you know within a few hour driving distance not like in the tippy top of the corner of the US um, but you know they they met they met my coach and you know kind of serendipitously my my mom actually went to uh, she went to high school in uh, in Washington State as well and she didn't have a lot of means growing up, but her dream was to go to the University of Washington, which I did not know until I accepted a, a full ride there. And um, she had entered an essay competition in high school that would have given her a scholarship to, to go to UW, and she placed second, and she didn't get the scholarship. And so it kind of came full circle, though, I think for her, you know, when we realized that, that, you know, at least someone got to maybe live a little bit of her dream that she didn't get to fulfill when she was younger. So you've pretty much established that your college experience was crucial in so many ways, but I mean, kind of honing in on that development aspect, I mean, what parts of you do you feel like personally grew up? Well, I mean... 
Yeah, so the, one of my most vivid memories, well, there's two stories. Uh, my freshman year, I had a little bit of a, a panic attack where I was like, maybe I made the wrong choice. Then I reached out to the coach at the University of Tulsa to see if I could transfer there. And I did not know this, but the rules require that if a player reaches out, that that coach then has to reach out to the other coach at the other university where that athlete's playing. And so when that happened, you know, my coach, she was very concerned for me. She, she was like, what's going on? I thought everything was fine. And I, I didn't realize actually how much I was going to miss being home. And, you know, she did not pressure me at all. She's like, you, you need to make the choice that's right for you, but we have your back no matter what. And I think just hearing that, that she wasn't mad at me and I wasn't in trouble for feeling things that I was uncertain about um, made me realize that it's okay to just talk things through <laughs> and that it's okay to be scared. And, and sometimes it's good to play through your fear whether that's in life or on, on the golf course too um but I also was a bit of a hothead and she really helped me work through that and she pulled me off the course once because I I would drop f-bombs like nobody's business <laughs> and she I remember this was at the Washington State uh tournament in Pullman and she told me she goes if I hear you cuss one time today I'm pulling you off the course and uh it was a par three and I did not see her and I pushed my five iron like 15 yards right of the green and I blurted out god damn it and I turn and I look and there she is with her arms crossed and she points at me waves me over and pulled me off the course (laughs) and uh, I think our team ended up play, placing second in that tournament because my score didn't count. I wasn't even playing bad. Um, and that was very much a one, it was humiliating. I was embarrassed. I was disappointed in myself because I let my team down. Um, and it just taught me that I really needed to find a way to control my emotions on the course. And that was something that I definitely still struggled with even even post-college, but I didn't have an awareness about it the way that I did when I got to UW. So do you feel like her empathy, in part, was the reason that you ended up staying? Definitely. She was like a mom to me. Um, you know, and I don't... It's, it's weird. You don't really realize the impact that people are having in your lives until much later and the lessons that they, you know, they try to impart on you at the time. And, you know, thankfully, I'm still in touch with her. We, we still chat every once in a while. And I've gotten to see her a couple times since since I left college. And, yeah, I mean, she's definitely one of the greatest influences in my life. And she is a very, very caring coach. I think she's untraditional in terms of her approach to coaching. Um, but I think that's also why she's been at Washington for so long is because the players really respect her and appreciate how much she cares about them, not just as golfers, but as people. 
So when you were getting to the end of your time there, and I mean, you, you're someone who's always treated golf or later treated golf as an outlet, as a means to, you know, be yourself and just kind of grow and the game essentially becoming just a fun part of your life, not just, oh, this is strictly business. This is just what I want to do. It ended up becoming so much more to you. But when you said you, you had kind of been a hothead back in the day, how did you, how did golf end up becoming something that you were a little more patient with, a little more, you know, tempered with in your approach? Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask me now, uh, if, if I would want to go out and play professionally again. And honestly, if, if the opportunity seemed right, I would go back out there and try because my perspective on the game is completely different than what it was when I was 22. I'm, I'm 32 now. And it's, I realize now it's not life or death that bad shots, bad shots happen and you just got to figure out, you know, how to move on from it. And I, I feel joy when I play golf now. And I had lost that for such a long time. And I think being able to carry joy out onto the golf course would benefit me in so many ways if I were to go out and play professionally again. And, you know, when you think about if, if you really break down golf, right, like it's kind of a stupid sport, as, as great as it is. Like someone took a stick, put a little head at the end of a stick, mowed some grass down, put a little ball together and said, all right, we're going to hit this ball three and try to get into a hole 300 yards away, right? And it's kind of ridiculous. Like it is kind of ridiculous, but it's also incredibly challenging. And I think if you can accept that there's a ridiculousness to the game, but there's also equal parts beauty to it and also equal parts like different challenges that come with the game, then you can, you can take golf in as a full experience versus this, if I don't hit the shot perfectly, then nothing else matters, right? Um, and I think now... Now I just am able to go out there and take it for what it is, um, an experience that I get to have and time with my friends that I get to have and being outside. And sometimes I get to take my dog on the golf course with me. And listen, if I could have Ruthie Caddy for me, I would definitely definitely get to number one in the world in like a year because she calms me down (laughs) in so many ways. And if I ever hit a bad shot, and I just looked down at her cute little face, I would be like, what bad shot? <laughs> I didn't hit a bad shot. And then I would rub her butt and move on. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice. And honestly, do- I mean, yeah, you know what? Every every dog should be trained to become a caddy. That's just fine. My dog personally is a little hot-headed and hates when I swing a club, so I can never bring my dog out to caddy but that's just me i'm glad i'm glad ruthie has a better attitude yeah no she's she's pretty chill she's pretty chill (laughs) i do want to ask you one quick question before we finish um as someone who just came from a weekend of covering lpga q school i know 
you'd been there a few times during your pro career. Um, I kind of want an idea of what, you know, the grind on the inside looks like. So I guess for, we've got two different perspectives on this. Um, so I want more of your take on it and maybe reflections on that. And do you think maybe like Q school itself is maybe antiquated? Should there be a better system for women, especially when they're coming through the college pipeline? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, well, first of all, Q school is probably the most, for me personally, the most challenging uh, tournament that I've ever played in because you know that if you don't play well, that you, and if you don't get your tour card, you have to wait another year to have that opportunity again. And you have to go through all three series. Uh, well, not all three, depending on if you play Symmetra Tour, you can go straight to second stage. Um, I mean, it's a grind. Mentally, it's just like you you have to prepare yourself that over the course of, I think it's like, I can't remember, three or four months, that all right, you made it through first stage. Now you got to get ready for second. So there's no continuation of it, which I think is probably the most difficult part is, having these huge gaps in between each qualifying school versus maybe doing it just like three straight weeks in a row or something that that to me one would make it more fair um and also just from the cost perspective of just having it in one location versus having to fly out to one place and room and board there for a week and then fly out to another place like i just think that there needs to be a better way to, uh, to help bring down the cost of it too so that it's more accessible for people to do it and not have to try to raise you know I think it, at the end of the day it costs about ten to fifteen thousand dollars just to do Q school um, so I think there has to be a better way to, to do that I also think that there needs to be a more strict guidelines in place of who can play in Q school um, because I've seen scores in Q school before that are just baffling uh, and I guess if people want to spend that type of money to, to do that knowing that they don't have a shot go for it I guess but I also think it's really unfair for the people who are serious contenders and if they end up getting paired with one of those people that's not fair to them well said. Those are some excellent points. And I mean, yeah, I hadn't truly considered, you know, the mental toll that the three, four month process could really take on somebody because you have time to kind of marinate over every stage versus if it was just a continuous set of weeks that you were playing, you could just focus on the next part and the next shot and the next round instead of having to think about what you did in first, second stage, you know? So yeah. I hadn't, hadn't really considered what the time between could do. I, I also think, too, that they need to at least bump up the number of cards that they give out um, on the Symmetra Tour to at least 15. Uh, 10 is a really, really low number of spots to give, in my opinion. Um, and considering that if you're in the top 15 on the money list on Symmetra Tour, you're playing really great golf still, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and you're making 
very little money while playing really great golf. So I think that there needs to be a better system as well or, or more spots given for players on the Symmetra Tour um, because what's the incentive? You know, like it's you're, you're finishing 11th on the money list and you have to go back to the Symmetra Tour the next year if you don't get through Q School. I, I don't, I don't uh, get that. 100%. Well, thanks for taking the time to share your thoughts, not only on Q School, but your journey to where you are now. You're doing incredible things. And again, I highly encourage everybody to follow Anya on Twitter. She is a crucial part of growing the women's sports and storytelling and all things incredible and if you if you're not into that at least follow her for her great dog pics because they are at least daily and she is she's great about them so thanks again Anya Jordan thank you and what the work that you're doing is really important as well and I'm so glad that there are more women in the golf space that are covering golf and that have a voice in the space and you're crucial you're crucial too so we're all in this together in terms of growing the game hey just popping back in to say thanks again for listening and if you want to follow anya on twitter that's at anya double underscore alvarez so it would be at a n y a underscore underscore a-l-v-a-r-e-z her content is awesome and definitely worth a follow so thanks for checking out the podcast and see you guys later